0: I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silvercore podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silvercore, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silvercore Club, which includes 10 million in North America wide liability insurance ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. If you're enjoying our podcasts and you feel they're bringing value to you and our community, we would sure appreciate it. If you consider commenting and sharing with your friends, not only will that help us reach a wider audience, but if you listen to last week's podcast, you'll remember it'll give you the chance to win a fantastic Vortex apparel package. This episode was recorded on March 26, and I'm speaking with a BC parks employee and local hunter education business owner about rafting, kayak hunting, as well as the effects of COVID-19 on our work, as well as our plans for fishing and hunting. This is Silvercore's second remote podcast. And I'm, I guess I can't say I'm sitting down with, but I'm sitting in front of my computer with Dylan Ayers of Eat Wild. Dylan, welcome to the Silvercore podcast. Hey,
1: thanks so much. Uh, Of course, we're in this totally unique times where we're managing for the social distancing measures of, you know, obviously not socializing and being in the same room as people. So uh, on one hand, we have a bunch of time to like, you know, maybe get together and and try and talk about some of the things we've been trying to talk about for a while. I was thinking about when you said remote podcasting, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I've got a great remote podcasting setup. I thought we were going to go sit in a park together, six feet apart. And like, and like have a mic across and be like, sterilize our mics. So this makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah. For that matter, we could have just met at the studio and, and sat six feet apart and done this podcast, but you know, we're rolling now. I kind of feel like, uh, when the the Flintstones and the Jetsons get together and they have a bit of a crossover. Hey, we got the, uh, the Eat Wild crew and the Silvercore crew doing a bit of a podcast.
1: So who, who so who gets to be the Flintstones and who, who's the. Who's Jess and I,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, my very first podcast I ever did was with you, but what, well, that was about a year ago, right? Yeah. We got a really good response from that. That was on the Eat Wild podcast. Yeah. 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 We talked
1: about gun care and maintenance and they had a lot of positive feedback from that one. People really, I mean, I learned a lot hanging out with you and I think uh, the audience learned a lot. That was a lot of fun.
0: I had a ton of fun on that one. Now we're sitting in the midst of the COVID pandemic and people more than ever are looking for some sort of respite from the, the daily confinement and social isolation. And uh, I'm looking at different ways that we can bring some information, some positivity, and maybe share a little bit about what's happening in the firearms business world, the hunting world. Of course, you've got Eat Wild. By day, you are a park ranger, so you've got a perspective from that side as well. How do you find COVID's been affecting, well, let's let's start with Eat How has it been affecting there?
1: Well, I think it took, for all of us, it took a little while for us to sink in as to what it meant to socially isolate and what measures we, we were going to take to, you know, reduce the potential for the spreading of the virus throughout our society. And, and I think it took a little while for, for us all to just sort of acknowledge that this is these are big measures that need to happen and then it happened for a long time. So like initially, you know, you're almost like pushing back courses by you know, two or three weeks thinking hopefully that maybe things will pass in a couple of weeks. And, and you kind of have that, that initial, you know, hope that things will be improved. But then I think as we kind of got a little further down the road in my, you mentioned like I'm in my work life uh, as a park manager, I, you know, really that kind of took over my, Big crisis, obviously for for all of us. And and in my in my work world as a park manager, I'm sort of front lines for you know working to keep either parks open or closing parks. And, and the parks I manage are here adjacent to the Lower Mainland, so I have thousands and thousands of people, you know, looking for ways to get outside to you know, especially when they're being asked to socially isolate. But then they're going stir crazy, hanging out in their house with their kids and stuff. So parks are an amazing place for that potentially, and. And then on the other hand we're just seeing this incredible crowding so my work life became very like I did a very deep dive into the um, realities of how to manage for COVID and so really for Eat Wild and the course was that we had for the next little while it kind of almost paled in comparison to some of the challenging decisions and and information that I was sort of processing for park work so when it, it almost just seemed easy just to kind of cancel everything through till you know, May and hoping for the best for May, but I'm not optimistic that we'll really be bringing people into classrooms or doing workshops for, you know, for a few months here. So how about you?
0: We're in unprecedented times. I don't think I've ever seen demand, particularly for the firearms courses, like what we're seeing right now. We've got people throwing money at us or at least trying to throw money at us and say, look, I want to get my course. I want to get a firearm. I want to learn how to hunt. I want to be able to be self-sufficient and care for my family and, and all of these great things. And all we can do is say, no, sorry, we can't, we can't, we shut down our, our school last week and when it became very clear that we wouldn't be able to continue operating the classes and maintain responsible social distancing. And that hurts, it it hurts the instructors. I mean, we're scrambling, we're looking at different areas that we can expand the business into while still being socially responsible so that the staff can continue to have work. So far we're being successful, but it's a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. How about on Parkside?
1: Um, we're still fairly like, I mean, everybody's (laughs) It's all hands on deck right now to manage for the, the challenges of evaluating the public use. And then, you know, we're, we're monitoring what's going on. We're, we're kind of actively managing for the risks that are in front of us and trying to, you know, encourage people to social, you know, meet those social distancing guidelines and, and efforts. And, like, you know, we're, we're kind of responding every day to the direction, the political direction at the Prime Minister's level and the Premier's level and really trying to, you know, while balancing out this, there's lots of sound, rationale to have people still out there trying to get out and getting some nature time in right and how do you you know really i'd like to be able to say to people hey like go out you know every everybody can take their turn for one hour out in the park maintain your two meters and then go home and then let somebody else come in right that that that's kind of ultimately where i'd, I'd like to get to i don't know if that's, that's that's a daunting thing to try and do with our society and certainly mm, seeing some yeah. people disregarding the concepts of social distancing and what we're trying to accomplish and and unfortunately as, as as things go, you know, it's hard to hard to manage for the masses when there's a few bad apples that just aren't aren't getting it. So so anyways, we're still in process. We still have some of our parks open. I'm I'm optimistic that there's still some opportunities and and our staff are busy trying to manage for all aspects of that and our contractors too. So
0: well, I had a- Email from a friend of mine in Spain and they're about five to seven days ahead of kind of what's happening over here. And he gave me a heads up and of course, different situation, different population density over there, but it's ugly. And then I'm talking with people in the Netherlands and they've got a different approach that they're looking at herd isolation. Let's just secure all the at risk, immunocompromised elderly and quickly get everybody else infected. If I'm following the herd, I herd immunization model properly, and then once they reach about a 60% infected and recovered rate, then bang back at it. Right. So when we look at the different models, one has everybody socially isolating for a pretty extended period of time. If you look at the mathematical concept of planking the curve, which you're hearing more and more and if we continue down that path, obviously there's lots of different repercussions, but one that our listeners, I think might be interested in is we've got spring bear coming up. We've yeah. got some hunting considerations, right?
1: Well, it's not just spring bear. I like, I, I mean, right now this is the, you know, for me, this is the planning time of year. I mean, for one thing, it's the doldrums of the wind rolling out of the winter and you're still dealing with these dark rainy days and. You're just you're just itching to get out on an adventure and reconnect with nature and you know unfortunately like yeah bear season's around the corner for some people it's turkey season and and then fishing mm-hmm. season comes after that like but you know really like for me I, i'm talking about our our sheep trip and our elk trip and these other adventures that you know i i really enjoy having some type of adventure trip in the forefront you know to, to have something to think about to kind of get me through these dark days and something to plan on and give me something to research and man it's a bit it's difficult like it's, it's a lot of things that are sort of showing up that are the reality of planning for hunting season is that things are going to be different this year like you know for one thing like you got your hunting partner and depending on you know how well you're you know if you're taking three months off work right now what are the chances you're going to be able to go and bugger off and go chase elk for three weeks and what are the mm. chances you're going to be able to you know go fly into the mountains in the middle of nowhere and look around for sheep and, and gosh, are we even even by, you know, July, August, is it realistic to think that we're going to be able to go and, you know, go into these small communities and, you know, bring our whatever potential risk that we might bring if, if this hasn't passed. So all of these things are pretty, you know, coming into focus here pretty quick and pretty darn scary.
0: I think the last one that you focused on there was one that is a point of consideration, you're going into a small community. These people are isolated, they're doing their self-isolation, we're going to assume. And all of a sudden you have out of towners coming in and staying in their hotels, motels and Mm. visiting their different establishments. That's a point of consideration.
1: So do you think it's going to be a provincial directive to not go run, run, run around in the forest and as of April 1st?
0: You know, somehow I think you would probably have better insight on that one than me but
1: well to to be honest it hasn't like i mean i think when you sort of table that in front of someone and you start you know and and a decision maker has to go geez you know yeah you're right i mean this is people starting to move around the province for different purposes whether it's fishing hunting you know i don't know selling encyclopedias door to door i don't know but like you (laughs) know all, all of these things are are really on the table for evaluation and i think every day like certainly in the response we've been working towards and, and and you as a business owner like you you're probably discovering things every day that you hadn't really thought about they're like oh gosh yeah that's a reality and how am i mm-hmm. going to respond to that like and you know with like this is super unprecedented times like well, what's next like and so i think you're you're probably spot on there by sort of acknowledging that that might be something and it's also important to, you know how, how big of an issue is it a few people driving in solo vehicles around the province looking for a bear might be the best thing for a lot of people and i think that's something you could easily practice in self-isolation and Mm -hmm. you know the current guidelines still allow for you know one or more people to be in a vehicle together i mean then you know again that may change here as we move towards the next steps of what's happening right but you know so are
0: you going to prepare for a spring hunt
1: so with respect to yeah bear hunting like i had a bit of a project plan in the works to go film a bit of like a more so a foraging adventure with one of my friends Jody she's uh she's like a forager and my friend Mark is 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 a chef and my friend Jenny is an avid bear hunter well she's an avid hunter and she happens to hunt bear as well but the four of us were going to go to the west coast and do some fishing you know maybe do some foraging maybe shoot a bear if it presented itself and then have some meals on the beach and some buddies of mine were going to film it some other buddies of mine were going to come and kind of facilitate another vessel so we had two vessels on the water and so we had this kind of a great plan set up so it's kind of heartbreaking because the plan was coming together nicely and and of course i don't think it's a reality because we were looking to do it towards the end of april so
0: all right uh,
1: so so maybe so that was that was like a group effort to go for an adventure so maybe to revisit hunting you know, maybe it's a solo or one or two people you know total in separate vehicles or something okay
0: when we talked yesterday, you had plans to get out and maybe do some solo adventuring. Were you able to do that today?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I went out, um, yeah, yesterday afternoon. I, I, so, so one of the things about, I mean, this whole social you know, socially isolating is being, um, is, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of the foundational pieces that keep you well, like keep you mentally, mentally good. And, and for me, it's, you know, I like having dinner parties with my friends and I, cook probably twice a week for friends so it's very much keeps me in good health good mental health and and keeps me connected to my community and like that's out the door like I'm not doing dinner parties twice a week and then I also play soccer three times a week with a group of of people and that's out the door and I go to yoga you know once or twice a week and that's out the door so you know it's like it's you know for someone who suffers from depression and anxiety and and you know mental health stuff like those are the things that allow me to stay positive and healthy. Right. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so anyways, plant, so now it's like all hands on deck to what, what's next. Right. So,
0: well, didn't you tell me that you got yourself a, an inflatable kayak at some point?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the next thing that I'm working. So, so I'm socially isolating on, on rivers by practicing, um, like this, this, these alpaca, ki- uh, kayaks, they're like a blow up, um, Inflatable kayak system. They're very burly. They're very light and burly. Well, they're 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 advertised to be very burly. So we're um, <laughs> Jenny, my hunting partner, and I are, are are we've got a couple of these boats and we're we're rafting the the rivers in the sea to Sky Corridor. Um, and this is sort of the new my, my way of getting out in nature and developing a new skill and a bit of exercise. And it's uh, very limited contact. So we we've, we've worked it out that we're our program is to like meet at the river pull-out spot and we and then we like hand sanitize and we like share a vehicle drive and we drive <laughs> we leave a truck at the at the pull-out and we drive up to the top and then we like drive we leave and then we blow out the rafts at the top of the river and then drift down and you're independent in the two rafts right so you're right you're meeting your social isolation standards and having a good time and then you know, when you get to the bottom and tear down the rafts and have a little barbecue on the beach and and maintain our social isolation and keep, keep <laughs> it clean and then And then we go home. (laughs) Is
0: that is that Jenny from Chasing Food Club? No, different Jenny.
1: Different Jenny. Yeah, Jenny. Jenny. He is. uh, She's been on a couple of my podcasts, and we hunt a ton together, and ski together, and fish. So she's very cool. Present on my social media and stuff, and she was on the bison hunt that we did. So if you if you suffered through the six hours of the bison epic on the three podcasts, then you (laughs) you'd know Jenny real well. So
0: the uh, the kayaking. Have you done much of that in the past?
1: This is a new thing for sure. Yeah, like I started out with uh, a few years ago. We did uh, we drifted a couple rivers. Like I, I, so we invested in like like actual fourteen foot rafts with rowing frames on them, and and we yeah. did a bit of an expedition for elk a few years ago, and um, did a couple different elk trips with the raft, and and it's super cool. Uh, it's it's, it's a, and you we we one one trip we like there's a few spots that you can like you know drive to the top of a river and then put the raft in and then drift down yeah and then there's some spots There's a handful of spots you can fly in with um with the raft and then like drop the raft off on an airstrip and then pack it down to the river and then have a long drift back up to the highway so so we did that a couple of years ago and that was it was a fun trip it was it was unproductive it was a challenge we we um kind of the weather was was really hot that year and okay um, they just we saw a handful we saw a couple elk early in the trip and it was just too hot to to take an animal because we still had a long way to go and then by the time things cooled down and we were kind of way down the river and there wasn't much going on for elk, but but the rafting was the fun part. We actually all kind of said like, "Shoot, we'd almost do this again." Like we'd almost do this again and not even worry about hunting because the because just it's like so much fun, isn't it? Yeah, like rafting. Around. Have you done it? Have you rafted much?
0: So in my early twenties, I started on the Chilliwack River, and I went out had a twenty dollar Seville Canadian Tire inflatable raft and took a case of beer and put it in a backpack and tied it to the raft and me and my friends would go down the Chilliwack River in these little inflatables, right? And have a lot of fun and these things would rip and we would be in some pretty dangerous situations without even knowing it's being dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got myself a job as doing marketing for Corona beer. It was through Mark Anthony Brands and I was doing traveling around doing stuff with Corona beer and One of their giveaways was a a larger, still kind of like a Canadian tire inflatable, take it to the beach raft. And I thought this is perfect. This is way better than any of the other cheap ones I've been using. And I took it out again to the Chilliwack River and there's a section called Tamahai through the rapids. And Mm -hmm. my buddy says, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going down here. It's, and this was, the river was running. It was running high. And there was kayakers that were scouting the river and they're like, yeah, we're not going in, it's not safe. And I, we drove all the way out there, young, dumb, ego. And I tell my buddy, I said, you know what? I tell you what, I'm going to go to the roughest section of the river here <laughs> and I'll show you how safe this is. <laughs> and then we'll just, you know, have a nice leisurely drift down the rest of the river afterwards. He's like, all right, not a problem. And I, at that point. Digital cameras were new, but I'd borrowed the uh, the Corona digital camera that we we're using. And so he sets up on the river and he figures he'll take some pictures of me going down through Tamahai. I put the thing in the water. And at this point, cause I'd actually done a few other rivers, uh, real rafting actually at one point, cause what I'd do is I'd put in when a commercial rafting company was putting in and hope that if I got into trouble, that their safety kayaks would, <laughs> would help me out. Right. So at one point exactly. they just said, look at We got this old life jacket, we got some old farmer John wetsuit, just take it, just put these things on. Cause I'd go down without a life jacket or anything, right? Yeah. So the, uh, there I am on the Chilliwack river, going to go down Tamahai wearing a life jacket, an old Rio rafting life jacket and my farmer John wetsuit. And I put, I put the raft into the water and it was cold and the boat kind of deflates a little bit when it hits the cold. I got my goofy little paddle in my hands and I I had it all figured out the line that I was going to go on, but the river was going way faster than I was used to. I couldn't get on the line and really quick, I was relegated to put my, my hands and feet in the water and I'm paddling, trying to get onto my line and I get sucked into a research and my buddy's got the digital camera and he's (laughs) taking pictures the entire time. And there I am sucked in, sucked in. And every time I get out, I. Didn't want to lose the raft, but the raft just kept sucking me in. And finally I, I get out of this one and I've got pictures. I should post them off right before I get sucked into this one. I think they call it tombstone. And when I got sucked into that one, it was just a big looking black hole in the one side as the water is going over the, the edge and very highly aerated white water on the other side. And even with the life jacket and my farmer John wetsuit, I get pinned down to the ground and I'm trying to get out and they say, you know, make every letter in the alphabet, start moving your body, make A, B, C, right. And oh, try wow. and touch some green water and I'd get up and I'd just about get out and bang I'm back down again and just getting recirculated through. And it's funny because people say, don't panic, right? When you're in a situation like that, don't panic and in my head, I'm not panicking. I'm calm. I'm cool. I'm just going to work as hard as I can to get out. So all my effort's going to be to try and get out. And finally I start, I guess I'm, uh, quasi passing out due to lack of oxygen and sort of hallucinating down there and thinking of newspaper clips of body floating down the river. Oh my and goodness! I said, no, nah, this isn't for me. Anyways, I end up getting out. I ditched the raft in my head. I was just going to swim as hard as I could until I got it originally, I was going to start on one side of the river and get off on the other side. That was what the line took me. I looked to my left that seemed closer. Started swimming as fast as I can. And then I said, I'm not going to stop until I hit the shore. The second I got around a little bit of a break, my body just collapsed. My buddy took me out and I'm throwing up water and it feels like, I'm sure I didn't, but it feels like I inhaled a whole bunch of water and I lost a raft, had to tell Corona I don't know what happened to the raft. Who knows, right? It's hmm. maybe they misplaced it, right? <laughs> and after that, uh, me and my buddies said, Tell you what, I think I was about 20 at the time. Tell you what, let's invest and get a proper raft. So we got a 14, like you, we got a 14 foot oh, Hypalon nice. Achilles raft, and uh, a rafting company went out of business. And so we just had the frame, and I had a, another guy. Oh, nice. I think his name was Ken Greeley. We all called him Kenny G. And he built a self bailing floor. So I actually still have that. It's sitting upstairs at the, uh, the silver core classroom. I'm going to build a rowing frame and I'd love to do a hunt with that raft. So maybe, maybe I'll pick your brain a little bit about some places.
1: Sure. Off the podcast though.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, <laughs> Figured a
1: couple of, but yeah, I, I'm excited about these other rafts because they're, they're called pack rafts, right? So they're, they're designed mm-hmm. to be able to be rolled up and. And they're, you know, I think the, we got a couple there. One's about 10 pounds. The other one's maybe a little bit more. But, but I mean, they That's are. It's not bad. They're packable. I mean, they're, they're not like, you know, one of the reasons why we're getting out this time of year in, with the anticipation of maybe doing a a sheep or an elk hunt. For one, we're just building confidence with them and competency. Mm-hmm. But also, like I, like, we're going to put what amounts to, you know, an else worth of meat between the two rafts and see if it works and, and then run it. Like, so we're kind of building up our confidence. And, and so first of all, learning to work these rafts in in, in the uh, in the white water or, or class two plus water. And then right. the next step will be to like, yeah, weigh it down and see how it how it feels so that when we're, you know, you know, 150 miles into wilderness with no support, we can look at a piece of water and go, yeah, we got that. Or, or mm-hmm. no, we don't know if we can do that. Let's, Let's, um, reconfigure and figure something else out. Right. So
0: that's a funny thing. So, uh, Elahoe, Nahatlatch, Thompson, Chilliwack, uh, a lot of the, the bigger rivers and the, the commercially rafted rivers is kind of where I got my chops because I would just put in at the same time as the commercial people and just cross my fingers that they would feel some sort of obligation to. That's hilarious. To step in if, uh, if we're in trouble, but some of the remote areas that you can get to that would otherwise be nearly inaccessible when you travel by river are wicked. And I, I can remember just going down the Thompson and the number of times you just see sheep all down the side right there. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty pumped about it. I, I like I, I yeah, I'm, I'm pretty interested in it. I'm going to, I've got to see like, as I'm going down the river, I'm like, oh, I could do this, this river, I can get to that place. I can do that trip. Um. I think that the real limitation, though, with the pack is that, like, is that you are still super vulnerable. Like, it's not like running a 14-foot raft down a river where you've got mm-hmm. a frame and you've got oars and, like, you can pretty but much... But it's better than
0: the Canadian Tire Sevillor raft.
1: It is a <laughs> lot... Well, it's a little better, yeah. It's a it's lot, a lot better. better. Come on. It's a lot better, yeah. But it's a hoot. And, and I think the... if you develop the skills, like anything else, and put the time in, you can reduce the risk. I think the risk is going to still be there. And, you know, so we're definitely looking at doing this trip with four four rafts, if we can, just cause if mm. something happens in one raft, we can manage our weight and have, you know, get down the river with, and you know, if we get, if we lose two rafts, we might be
0: having a real problem, but and, and you can buddy up in those rafts?
1: Uh, we're, yeah, that, I think, I think a little bit, not like the, the, the first raft. To butts down the river. Well, I bought the first raft <laughs> I bought, uh, we ended up at the spot that we, uh, um, one of the places I hunt elk, like there's a there's a pretty nice looking hillside, but it's across a fairly like challenging river. Like it's 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 it's, it's got a pretty good rip on it, and mm. and I have packed my I've got I got a few I got a 14 foot raft, and I got sort of this nine footer that's got a little rowing frame on. it. It's actually a pretty cool little unit. Maybe it's a bit bigger than that, but it's 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 almost packable. So you, I mean, packable as in I think I think the 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 boat weighs like maybe ninety pounds or something like that total. So you can you can get the whole thing down somewhere if you had to, one maybe on a cart or something. So I, I packed it down and we actually we we rode across this river. We ended up we ended up shooting an elk on on the other side of the river and, and the and the raft was big enough that you could throw, you know, the elk and and row it across and dump the elk off and then go back get your buddy on our packs and come back, right? So that wasn't too bad. Um, but I bought this pack raft thinking, okay because it was a bit of it was a bit of a mission trying to try and get this raft all the way down there, this 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 bigger raft. So, so I was thinking this like you know nine pounder would be a lot more comfortable. So we got her down, we got it down there, pumped it up. I jumped in it with my day pack and I went to cross the river. And I I had our plan was because you could you definitely couldn't put two people in the raft comfortably and and their gear. Like you couldn't put two day packs, two rifles, two dudes. I don't like you. Maybe you could have, but I wasn't ready for for that yet. It was relatively new to me. So we ended up. So the the thought was, and this was a terrible idea, but it was a thought. It was a good idea at the time. I was gonna cross the river with a with a line, and I had tied a line to the bow of the boat, and Mm. had a big spool of of like three quarter or the quarter inch poly, Um, pretty good stuff, and. The thought was, buddy Mark was going to stay on the bank, and he was going to spool out the line. I was going to cross over. and I was going to get to the other side, and then we had we had we we would tie the rope off to each side of the river, and then we put the boat on a carabiner, and just clip to the line, and, the, and then the boat would swing across the river. Sure. And then Mark would jump in the boat with his gear, and then you could swing the river, swing the boat back across the line, right? Yeah. And and then the, and the, and we actually were we were, I mean. We had a we had seen a six point bull on on the other side of the river, so we were pretty confident we were gonna go shoot a bull. So re, really, we were just setting things up because we were gonna go shoot this bull, and then we we're gonna have pack loads of meat coming off here. So we wanted to make sure we had the system dialed in the in the case that we were shuttling meat across the river in the raft. So that was our that was our concept. Anyway, so I started across the river, and Mike Mark spooling across the line, and I'm paddling like mad to get across. And like I said, it's a pretty quick river. And like it's that's fine crossing, but I I'm just I just get to the other side of the river, and I'm just the river's cooking pretty good. But I just, I go to reach for the bank and I kind of grab a rock, and just then the whole boat just pulls away from me and starts to like want to go down river, and I'm now I'm kind of like I bailed out of the boat, but I'm holding on to the raft with one hand. I got my my gun in my pack, and the, I see the paddle like flip off the side of the boat and go down the river below me, and mm. in my mind. I've realized what's happening. What's happened is the the line that that is between the mark and the boat has now caught the current and is being driven downstream with the with the drag, which is totally obvious. But at the time, mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me. Um, and so I'm fighting like a hundred feet of line in the water, uh, which is a fair fair bit of force. And Mark has no doesn't quite know what's going on except that he can see that I'm like. Struggling on the bank and things are going sideways and the boats pulling away from me and I can't actually hold on to the boat, but in my head. I'm like, okay Well, if I let go of the boat the boat is gone Mark will still have the boat But he won't be able to get back across and get me and we're in the middle of mm-hmm. nowhere in the middle up north Like there's no coming to get me like without a paddle, right. So so I'm like well shit. Okay I got my gun. I got my pack. I still have a hold of the boat. I'm just gonna like Just like launch myself back into the boat and then I'm and then the boat kind of swings downstream and now mm-hmm. it's 100% up to Mark to, like, yard me back up out of the rapids and, like, pull mm. me back upstream. And, like, I have no idea. I mean, this is, the, the rope is tied to the bow of this boat, which is, like, I don't know how, you know, there's some pretty strong adhesive there on the one little loop on the front of the boat, right? <laughs> so, anyway, that was oh, a pretty near-death or actually. That, well, not, it was a near-disaster one. And it was a disaster. It could have just been a lot worse. So, anyways, Mark managed to, like, yard me up till I hit the other side of the river and other bank and then... Anyways, these things are dangerous. So, you know, that was lovely for for sure. Yeah. Thank God for Mark.
0: (laughs) You know, the one thing about rafting that always kind of stuck with me is you can see the gnarliest rapids, big white water rapids, throw on a life jacket, be safe, go for a swim and you generally pop over the top of them and you can see this water that's just going down the river and it looks, I don't know, pretty safe. And it can pose massive danger to you. You can have a strainer, a tree going across and if you get stuck under that. You can have a recirc like what I got stuck into. Mm-hmm. And it's these little things that you don't really think about that really pose a ton of danger. And then the really scary looking ones, not a problem. Jump in, you're good. Now, anyone listening to that, take that with a grain of salt, but that was just my perspective, I guess, looking at it, the real scary ones were turned out to be the ones that you're pretty much safe
1: well that, so one of the rules of jet boating because like you're often I have, I have i have a little jet boat when you're running up these rivers you're always looking for where there's water right you want to make mm-hmm. sure you're running over the water not the rocks right mm-hmm. so you can be sure if you see a standing wave of a, you know six inches or a foot mm-hmm. in order for that wave to become a wave of six inches or a foot high there has to be six inches or a foot of water underneath it so right. when you're jetting up a river like there's often glass calm water to the, to the next to a rapid, but there, Mm. you, you might, there might be a rock there. If you hit a rock, then it's it's devastating, right? Um, so you're better off running up where you can see rapid because you know, if you see a wave, you know, that at least it's, you know, six inches deep or eight inches deep, depending on the height of the wave, right? Because a wave has to have the the height is the same, you know, it's as tall as it is deep, right? So yeah. for a wave to, see, so, so when you're, those giant rapids that you see when you're driving up the Fraser Canyon, where there's these mm-hmm. huge waves that are like six feet high. I've swam um, through those. Yeah. You're actually safer yeah. to go through those because. That's right. You're, and you're thinking, you think, oh, I'm going to hit a rock. Well, actually you're, you're probably, I mean, if you have, if you see a six foot wave, then there's six feet of water underneath, there isn't a rock Right. There. It's the rocks that are sort of next to it and, and water go around rocks and go over rocks, but they don't mm-hmm. create six foot waves when they go over a rock. Mm-hmm. You got to have six feet of water underneath. So, so sometimes, yeah, just going for the deepest or the biggest rapid is actually the safest spot in a river. Well, I shouldn't say that like without a caveat, that's.
0: Again, knock on wood, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs>
1: with a grain of salt, yeah. <laughs> but one of the many things, and, and that's, what's fun. I mean, like learning, learning water, learning, I mean, it's just another thing. So anyway, mm-hmm. my, my current, my newest pastime is trying to figure out kayak, river kayaking and pack rafting, So
0: I didn't realize you had a jet boat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's a very small jet boat. It was, uh, mm-hmm. gifted to me by my hunting partner that's, uh, kind of coming to the end of his jet boating time. He's a little older, Je- well, Jeff Horsfield is a good, good, good friend, good hunting partner and, and, uh, a lot of the trips that we've done together in that little jet boat, he's just not really physically able to do. So he's right. kind of passed it on to me to, so I can keep doing those trips. And
0: have you ever taken that boat up pit river? The reason I ask is because, so pit lake, I think it's the largest tidal lake in North America. So, I mean, it, it moves up and down with the tides that we get here and can actually get pretty nasty on the north end later on in the day. But if you take your boat, I've done this before to the far end of the lake, there's a logging road out there. And the only way that the vehicles can get to that logging road is a barge them in and out, take my bicycle and I'll, I think it's about 20 or 22 K up the logging road and they have beautiful, pristine hot springs up there. Just wicked. But after biking for 22 K up a slight incline the entire way, (laughs) and it's not enough of an incline to kind of coast on back. It struck me if somebody had a jet boat, you could get up there pretty easily. Yeah.
1: I have a friend that's invited me on that trip and they, and they, and they paddle the lake in canoes with their bikes. And then they ride their bikes out there, spend the night and then come back the next day. And, and, and she's like, you got to come on this adventure. It sounds great. I'm like, you know what? I got a jet boat. <laughs> I'll see you up there, I'll bring the beer.
0: <laughs> and you know, there's actually an anchor point for your boat on the river. They've actually oh, wow. built up a bit of a concrete wall on that. I've been told it's the, it's, it's one of the cleanest hot springs. Cause it, I guess they can be subject to a lot of algae. This one yeah. is pretty pristine. So it's uh, huh. anyone, anyone who wants to go on a bit of a bike ride, interesting thing though. Last time I was there, saw one cow elk and we saw three black bears and the last black bear was about, I don't know, half a kilometer away from our destination and it didn't want to leave
1: Oh no kidding!
0: I was there with another fellow and we thought, well, let's try and spook it out. Let's scare it. And it wouldn't leave. It was a stand in the road, middle of the road. and All right, well, let's, let's just go back a little bit and wait and come back. And. Poke our head around, wondering is it is it leaving or is it getting closer? Well, it's getting closer, and thinking, ah, great. Of course, and this is going back a number of years, but didn't bring, uh, didn't really have anything with us other than a pair of swim trunks for uh, the hot springs, and reached the the point when we thought, well, we can either turn around and leave and go the twenty some odd k back and just call it a day, or maybe we could just walk by this black bear. Like maybe we scared this <laughs> thing away. So it was, yeah. it ended up on a bit of the side of the road, we put our bikes between us being young and dumb and walked past the thing. As soon as we got close enough to it, it spooked up a bit into the side and we got on with our day, but yeah, a neat area up there. Yeah.
1: He just kind of added another hunt idea to, to my list here that's already pretty long, but yeah, the, I hadn't thought about running the jet boat up there, but yeah, that'd be a fun fun spot for a, maybe a spring bear hunt. So yeah, spring bear hunt, soak in the tub. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: All right, Travis. Good idea. There you go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought,
1: yeah, well, I've run up there a bunch of times for, for, I I manage the, the, the the parks on either side of that, uh, of pit lake. So I've been, I've been, I've been up pit lake to the marine, marine sites a bunch of times and I've been on my list. There's, there's a, there's a good steelhead run up there and, Hmm. uh, uh, there's also Coho is supposed to be pretty good, but I mean these years I don't know things changed year to year for the quality of salmon fishing for sure. Mm-hmm. But there is, um, I think the limited entry odds hunting for Pit Lake is something like 400 to one for the elk draw. <laughs> so, which, yeah. which is weird because there, I guarantee you, of those 400 people that are applying for that one draw, and there's I think, I think there's like probably 3 or 4 tags so there's you know probably 1600 people that apply i bet you most of them like they just see pit lake or or mm-hmm. pit river and they think oh i i drive over the pit river every day on my commute to work i there's out there i'll go get one nope. i don't think they yeah i don't think they're really yeah. thinking that they've got a that they've got the logistics of it of you know having to have a jet boat or you know having to coordinate a boat access and having to coordinate a vehicle cuz of course the upper pit is not, it's not, there's no vehicle access to the upper pit mm-hmm. and that's what makes it more complicated to hunt it or hang out there. Well, they used
0: to have a barge service that would take people back and forth, like your friends who would take their bicycles and they'd, they'd barge them back and forth. But last I checked, I don't think they're doing that anymore. You kind of have to know somebody who's got a boat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's fun. That's, that's, that's a good one. I, I actually have a friend that has a truck up there too. So I, I, I was going to go up there blacktail hunt hunting, um, couple of years ago with a buddy of mine but i just haven't haven't been able to have enough time left in my hunting bank to to make that one happen but never seems that inviting to like go up to the headwaters of the pit in november i think of a lot <laughs> of other places in British columbia i'd rather be hanging out i hear you so i think one, one thing that's probably worth talking about and worth like so here we are we're talking we're scheming about hunts we're thinking about like Oh well, yeah, let's go bear hunting up the pit and take the jet boat up there, and let's go for river, you know river rafting adventures and all these awesome things that like are so critical to our you know our way of life, right? And mm-hmm. our mental wellness and like and we're all going to be dealing with a really difficult question here coming up in a little bit, which is like it's it's August first. Am I allowed to go bear hunting? Or it's coming into turkey season. Am I allowed to drive to the Cooties and go turkey hunting? And and. You know, I'm sure this is, you know, kind of hitting across our hunting community as to how, how, if, can we do it? And can we do it in a way that, you know, we're, we're, um, doing it safely and we're, we're meeting the provincial health guidelines for social distancing. And what would that look like? And I, I think that's probably something that we should, you know, kick around a little bit and I think we should just pay some mind to, but are you, mm. you have a bear hunt planned for this year?
0: A couple. Yeah. What was yeah, you Yeah, a couple. Oh, like in broad strokes they uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um I'm fairly self-contained when when hunting, right? The only places I'd need to stop off at would be for fuel on the way. Yeah. And provided we don't go the route of some of the European countries, like my buddy's telling me, giving me updates in Spain of what's happening over there, and I can't see us going down that route just it's just our population is so spread out. It's a different ball of wax over here. Something tells me I can't see people limiting access to, to crown land. I'm going to continue to plan and continue to move ahead as if it's going to happen until, until we're told otherwise. I think that's the, the healthiest way to, at least to proceed. And I'm not ready to give up on these things yet.
1: You are kind of a solo kind of hunter as it is. And
0: well, my approach and my, my look at it anyways, is we're looking at social distancing, not social isolation. And there's a level of responsibility, obviously on the individual. And I get there's, there's two parts, right? Number one is you want to be doing the right thing. What, whatever that is, we trust the experts that they're giving us information that we, we abide by. But number two is the social perspective of it because it doesn't take long to get on to Facebook or Twitter and you can see everybody ratting their neighbor out because they saw them too close to somebody else. So I guess there's, there's a two battlefronts there that people have to be aware of. From my perspective, go out and crown land. If it's permitted, great practice, social distancing, great. I can bring my tent. I can bring my trailer set up, just stay away from everybody else. And I'm just as socially distant, if not more so on my hunting trip, than I would be here in the lower mainland, holed up in my house. So that's, that's my approach until things change and we obviously we're monitor, monitoring that on a day by day, hour by hour, hour basis, but I'm planning as if hunting still go ahead. How about you?
1: You know, like I said, like, I think things have to change. I mean, we had a, you know, an eight person expedition plan with cameras and boats, and obviously that's just not reasonable in the, in the context mm. and staying at a, a lodge and all that kind of stuff. So that, I think that's one end of the spectrum and that's something that we can't do for a while. On the other end of the spectrum is, you know, hopping in your truck by yourself and grabbing your bear tag and or turkey tag or whatever mm-hmm. you're going to do and, and uh, go spend some time in isolation and, and be on the Crown land base. And provided there isn't any, you know, change in regulation around, you know, us, you know, traveling around the province. I know that some communities are now socially isolating and there's an order for if you move into a community or come into a community. I believe there's a requirement to be in quarantine when you hmm. come into a community, I believe. I wasn't uh, aware. Okay. I, I I maybe I'm misinterpreting some, uh, something I heard from a friend, but um, in any event, I think is you know conscious of the fact that you know we're coming from the city, which is the the center of the epidemic, and if we're going to go and pull into a small town and stay in a hotel, that's probably not a reasonable choice right now. But I think yeah. it's much more reasonable if we're you know if you're staying in a tent uh, and you're not you know, and you're not interfacing with people uh, along the way and, and not spreading out any potential exposure that you have right. from the city. So, I mean, you know, so I think really what the question is going to be for me is like, is it, is it a solo vehicle expedition or is it, are you going to jump in the truck with somebody else? And, you know, up till now I've kind of managed, you know, I have my, my friend Jenny and I have sort of, you know, we're both socially isolating, but, you know, when we have our rafting day where we spend, you know, half an hour in the truck together and I think we'll have to question whether that's appropriate for a longer trip and, mm maybe we take two trips and those are the kinds of questions that we're, or two trucks i should say yeah um that we'll be considering if we go bear hunting or, or go or go solo um and then i think there's probably some precautions around you know cooking and you could probably limit your exposure for sure like you know maybe it's not the time to like have big like prepared meals that you would normally do on if you're at the if you're hunting with me there'd be a nice meal every night with you know lots of, lots of good stuff going on, but that requires like cutting boards and knives and fresh vegetables and a limited water supply. And so maybe it's boiling a bag kind of meals and you just look for every opportunity to reduce the exposure and transfer of, of germs between people and do your best to kind of meet the expectations of our, of our provincial health guidelines right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll be hunting with other people, but I'm very, very fortunate in the fact that my three favorite hunting partners all live in the same house as me that's my, my <laughs> wife and two kids yeah even more fortunate is the fact that my wife's a professional chef by trade so that that really <laughs> really does help out so we're still planning on doing our hunts we've got a, a few family hunts that we've got keyed up and if things change they change but until then i'm just gonna i'm gonna play it as if we're going hunting. I think that's yeah, the healthiest right. way for me to look at it. Yeah, exactly.
1: And there's and there's and there's important things and like getting out outside and like maintaining that you know mental balance with like the stress that we're all dealing with. I mean, I can't imagine the stress that you're as a you know as someone who owns a company that's responsible for people's lives and
0: oh, it's and, crazy. You know,
1: trying, it's a lot of stress and and yeah. you know, that can be discounted. And you got to make sure you take care of yourself and do the things you need to do to stay well in this time.
0: Everyone's going through it. Everyone's got lots of stress, but I think on the other side of it as well, there's a lot of positives that can be pulled out of this. I mean, depending on how we look at it, it's a good check. Are we prepared if something else happens in the future? If if the big one hits, are we prepared, right? And Mm. people are now turning their heads to, can I, can I forage in my backyard? My wife does the food contributions for anchored outdoors. And mm-hmm. it's crazy the amount of food that she pulls up just from our backyard that other people would call yeah. weeds, right? And I, I think there are a lot of positive things in that respect. And as much as people say that times like this can be bring out the worst in people, you see the toilet paper hoarding and reselling the sanitizing sprays and. It also brings out the best in people and you can see everyone gathering around and we're all fighting a shared cause. And there's a sense of solidarity and unity that that's derived from that. So I I think, you know, they always say it's all perspective. It's all how you look at things, but it couldn't be, it couldn't be truer here. And from the business front. Yeah. I mean, we had to cancel all their courses. We've had to lay off the instructors. That sucks. That's our bread and butter. It's what we do, but in the same breath, Mm -hmm. day in, day out, 24 hours a day. I'm always thinking about work now, even more than ever. And the amount of connections that we're making just in the last two weeks, the amount of people that are reaching out, even this, right? You and I getting down, being able to do a podcast together. To me, this is a really positive thing. I enjoy speaking with you and this is fun to get it on uh, get it recorded here. That's my take.
1: This format that we're working on here, um, I. I just haven't taken that step in to figure out how to record a conversation remotely.
0: And, and now you've done it. I, I, Only took us 20 minutes, minutes and I, and, yeah, so, so you can
1: imagine for everybody, even someone who is like, oh, I've never used DoorDash or these delivery services. Yeah. You're like, you kind of do it once. You're like, oh, that was easy. And then you kind of like, the whole world's going to change because people have sort of discovered Groceries to get delivered, or oh yeah, Amazon, or like these these sort of large scale things that people are gonna like go. Well, that was kind of easy. I think I'll do that again. Like yeah. and and uh, well, business is gonna help, change. It kind of pushes us a little bit, yeah. So it's, the business is gonna drive in some areas.
0: Will be interesting. And um, the adversity tends in me, anyways. It brings out the best in me, and maybe I mean there there's I could concentrate on the doom and the gloom and all the all the difficulties that are out there people ask me, how are your kids taking this? And they're doing great. I mean, since birth, they've been gently prepared for something like this, not in a crazy, weird prepper way, but at this point they're thriving, Mm -hmm. being able to use all the things that we've essentially been working and training towards and being able to use that to help your neighbors and your friends, mm-hmm. in whatever capacity you can,
1: it is kind of important for us all. Like it, whether it's your personal systems for cert, you know for how to cope with something like this, and I do think it's incredibly important that we've done this. Like mm. you know, I, you know, I, I'm hopeful that co- this 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 COVID, you know, it, um, you know, we can minimize the impact it has on our society. But as we, you know, as you can imagine, it could be a lot worse, and it could be the type of virus that could be much much harder on a human population, not disregarding the the impact it's going to have on many, many people and many families. But Hmm. like, this is sort of a, this is a great exercise, this is a great exercise for us to go through this and see what we, you know, what we have to do if this happens again. And, and, and then also how do we cope with it and the systems that we need to have in place and how we need to be prepared. And, and then from a work perspective, like in all the things that I'm working through in my day-to-day work, as far as managing for public safety and in, in parks, it's like, it's a great, it's a really good effort to see how we all come together and work together, and um, it's, been, it's been interesting. So there's going to be a lot of positives come from it. I think we're going to be better off as a society, but I think we've got some challenges to come, and, and I certainly know that some families, and we're all going to be affected here.
0: The biggest thing I took out of what you're saying there is everyone's coming from different areas. Some people are capable and able. Some people have issues with mobility. Some people are struggling with mental health. And the biggest thing that we can do right now is show compassion. I mean, the person who's hoarding all of the toilet paper, maybe there's something else going on that we don't quite see, right? Just having that compassion and taking care of yourself, take care of your friends, take care of your neighbors as much as may be fairly done without injury to yourself and your family. And we'll all get through this. Anyways, Dylan was really good. Thank you very much. Let's give it a wrap here and, uh. We'll try another one in the future.
1: just want to say, like, all the best to you and your listeners and, and um, anybody else that catches this podcast. Hopefully, you know, we get through this together and stay healthy and support each other. Eh?